You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, come on and snatch if you want a Space Jam. and Thomas Mariano will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 or seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and y'all ready for this? Whatever the fuck. And I'm Thomas Mariani, and I'm just here with my Hanes on, my Nikes are all laced up, I got my Wheaties and my Gatorade, and I can't wait to pick up a Big Mac right after the podcast. Yeah, and you also like to move it, move it. No, that's a different corporate sponsor that I can't really endorse. Uh, I have to endorse these other corporate sponsors. Synergy, Adam. It's about synergy. Ah, see, I don't understand what that word is. Oh, we'll talk a lot about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost that's the main thematic drive of one of our films we're talking about tonight. But welcome, everybody, back to the Double Edge Double Bill, where every week Adam and I cover a good and a bad movie we pick at the end of the previous episode related to a topic that we're doing. And uh, this time, in honor of Space Jam 2, we are covering films starring athletes. Obviously, that film stars LeBron James. And uh, it's interesting because we flirted with this topic a few times because we talked about, say, uh, wrestlers in film as a topic previously. Adam, what do you think makes a good athlete-turned-actor? What do you think is, like, the key to that, if at all, if there's any kind of consistent key to it? Say, I don't think there really is a consistent key to it. <laughs> I think it's literally a roll of the fucking dice. Uh, you know, and, and most of the time you're going to crap out, man. Uh, it's It's not necessarily something that, works that often no that's true i think because we talked about this even when we did the wrestlers episode that like when you have a wrestler in theory like a lot of that is performative in terms of like the wrestling has a bit more of a blurred line like there's still the physical element of it and then also there is storylines that are written out for these people and the back and forth trash talk and so like that there is an inherent scripted element that makes them in theory more likely to transition to film as opposed to athletes don't have that and sometimes the charm of seeing athletes say be corporate sponsors is that they're not very performative despite having a lot of charisma when you see them say do a, an ad for Wheaties or whatever um it, they often come off very stiff in an unintentionally funny way or sometimes intentionally funny uh, yeah i i think the best example of that someone who has no acting ability but just oozes charisma is like shaquille o'neal a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Where everything he does is hilarious, but the guy can't act to save his life. But he's awesome. He's super charismatic, and you just love to see him. Because he has this authentic kind of affable charm, where every time you see him, he's just like, Shaq, what are you doing here? You turn, you're too big to be here. Like, anytime he holds, like, a regular size thing in his giant-ass hands, you're just like, Shaq, you're a giant man who visited all the normal people. <laughs> you big old dummy. Go back to your castle in the sky. 
I kind of want that though. <laughs> just <laughs> Jack and the Beanstalk, but Shaq is the giant. <laughs> um, but I, I think like some of the better examples would be someone like, you know, a Jim Brown is probably like yep. one of the better examples. Um, or even others where like you didn't know they were necessarily athletes before, like a Burt Reynolds who started off doing like football in college. I think that's the thing is they usually don't go pro. If you become a pro athlete, that's when like any acting thing is not a factor for you until you are tasked to do it. As opposed to somebody like a Burt Reynolds was somebody who like kind of traded his time between being like a footballer and also acting at the same time. So that's really, I think the, the key is like, you can have some athletic experience, but if you've gone pro, it might be a bit too late for you most of the time. No, I definitely agree. And the, you know, the thing is too, uh, about sort of the reason we chose this topic, like LeBron James, LeBron James in Trainwreck was actually pretty good, but he's yes. also in it 10 minutes, dude, at best. And it, it also helps that one, it's a Judd Apatow movie where live it's improvised. And two, he's working off of Bill Hader. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, so it just worked. Uh, carrying a whole movie? No. I'd argue that's when the athletes sort of work the best, when they're just little bit parts. Like, I don't even want to say his fucking name, but like O.J. Simpson in the Naked Gun movies. Yes. He's fine in those movies. Could O.J. Simpson carry a whole movie? No. Absolutely not. And thank God for that. But still. It's just, yeah, the bit parts always seem to work more in their favor. But then in other times... You know, it's really weird. Like, it's a catch-22. Like, we just say, you know, OJ and Naked Gun and, and LeBron and Trainwreck. But then you got Dan Marino and Ace Ventura. And you're like, this is awful. He is awful in this movie. And has to do awful things. <laughs> awful things. But it is all about charisma. You're 100% right. If they got charisma, then, you know, it makes them at least watchable. And a lot of these big, dumb meatheads, and I'm sorry for any sports fans who might be listening. Which, by the way, we also, we should establish we're not very big sports people. Fuck no! Are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> Absolutely. I don't give a fuck. Uh, I did when I was growing up, but then I didn't have the access to all the other entertainment I do now. So it's like at the time, eh, the fucking NBA finals are on. What the hell else am I going to watch? Right. Uh, now it's like, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm, I'm not as big a sports person uh, which we're on the ESO network. Thank you for listening. But also, uh, don't be the guy who says sports ball. Don't be the guy who is like decrying sports for their fandoms. It's just like it's like you have your you have your fandom. They have theirs. Don't be mutual dicks to each other just because yeah, some asshole picked on you in high school or whatever. Right. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't care. If you like sports. You like sports. That's fine. Right. Just don't talk to me about it. I won't talk to you about like fucking Mass Effect the remastered edition because you don't give a shit, and I don't give a shit about football. So right. But at the same time, when I've watched sports, there is still an inherent kind of interesting factor, especially when I love watching a game, either it's football or basketball, whatever, and there's a super fan who's filling me in on sort of like the backstory of the season, because then there's an inherent like story too a football game or a basketball game when you know a bit more of the history to it. I don't necessarily want to watch the full season, but I'll watch like the season finale. <laughs> right. That's, that would be right. That's, that's my brother. Uh, anytime I hang out with him and there's like a big game on, or, you know, like the NBA finals are just going on now, or like the fucking world open golf or whatever it is. Like he's filling me in about all the info. And I'm like, Oh, this is pretty cool. All right, cool. I don't really care, though. Like, I'm not going to remember it after that night, but it can make for a very exciting time. Right, exactly. It makes you live in the moment. 
which is something that even the sports does, even as much as film can also do the same thing. But Adam, it's time we discussed specifically our two films that we picked at the end of our last episode. We had um, the good pick that you ended up picking, which is Snatch, which has a couple of uh, athletes in there. And then uh, my bad pick, which is, wait, am I reading this right? The original Space Jam that I picked... Oh, no. Do you know how many people, for some fucking reason, champion that movie? We're going to get letters. We're going to get actual letters. <laughs> letters. <laughs> Dearest Thomas and Adam, how <laughs> dare you, Ase, Ase. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, let's get into at least the good movie first. We'll be talking about Snatch. Four things has a garment the size of a fist. 86 carats. You know something that I've done? Jeez, it's flawless. Where? London. London. You know, fish, chips, cup of tea, Mary Poppins, London. What do I know about diamonds? I'm a boxing promoter. I've got a bare knuckle fight, so I want to use the pie key. Especially Vasilev. Can't you? Ah. Uh, what? You're going to have to repeat that. Especially Vasilev. Can't you? What? That is the stone. Heavy. Shut up and sit down, you big balls. So what should I call you? You can call me Susan if it makes weapon. Anything to declare? Yeah. Don't go to England. Uh, sauce frame furniture. And uh, scarf cushions with uh, matching sack my clothes. Did you understand a single word in what he just said? So Snatch uh, came out uh, in the UK... In, uh, on August 23rd, 2000, and then in the States in January of 2001, uh, from writer-director Guy Ritchie, who we haven't really talked about on the show, which is interesting because, um, obviously, Adam, this was your pick, and I know you're a pretty big fan of Guy Ritchie, especially these sort of uh, British gangster pictures that he's known for doing. Yeah, for sure, dude. He's got a lot of bad, too. But the ones that are really good are really, really good. And, uh, yeah, this one in particular... Um, I just remember, like I even mentioned already, my brother went and saw us at the show and came home and basically described the whole movie to me and all the good plot points. And I was so just entertained by him describing it to me that I had to see it. And when I saw it, I'm like, this is one of the coolest fucking movies I've ever seen. And it's still kind of up there for me as one of the coolest movies I've ever seen. I don't know if I'd go that far. Teach their own, I guess, fucker. Guy Ritchie in general, uh, especially around this sort of period, I haven't seen all of his films, but the sort of aversion I've had, and especially I kind of reacquainted myself with this, where I actually, I watched not just this, but I watched Lockstock for the first time, um, and the impression I sort of got from even hearing about his movies and even watching Lockstock and Two Spoken Barrels was always just like, these are upper echelon of Tarantino ripoff, which if you don't know, post-pulp fiction there was a glut of, like, crime comedies that were trying so hard to be Pulp Fiction. Um, most of them are very bad and forgotten for good reason. But it was just, like, a big glut of movies that came out. And Guy Ritchie was sort of the main person that kind of succeeded at that angle with actually, like, making successful movies somewhat. Like, A Lock, Stock, and Two Smoke and Barrels was, like, his big breakout movie. And then Snatch was sort of his follow-up. And I would say this one is my favorite of his, even just regardless of, like, that ripoff period or not is in terms of his overall filmography i think because it knows like a pulp fiction to really balance out all the different characters and actually make them very unique and their stories a bit more interesting as opposed to, i think that's my problem with lockstock is everyone kind of feels samey they're all just kind of like british white blokes who are just doing the exact same thing all over and over again as opposed to 
I get a, so much more of a sense of like, okay, here's this individual community on this end of Britain and on this end and all these different actors getting really to do like something very distinct with their performances mm. and everything else. I think this is the crowning achievement of that, which is why I think it's, I would argue maybe even the best Pulp Fiction ripoff that there was around this time. Oh, no, I, I can agree with that 100%. I, I absolutely agree as well. This is Guy Ritchie's best. Maybe even far and away his best. Like, I do like a lot of his other movies, but this is, I'd say, his his crowning achievement. Um, and for many of the reasons you just said, I mean, just the level of the cast that's in this and how he gives everybody a moment and it never feels like deviating too far, getting lost, that the script is, you know, sort of secondary. So just these these name actors can have their time in the sun. It all feels like there's a place and a reason for it. Yeah, like to compare it further to like a lock talk to smoking barrels, that is a very simple story. He over convolutes with the way he tells it as opposed to snatch is a, a very complicated story. But it works for the comedy of what it's going for, where it's so much like in Pulp Fiction, where you're kind of confused about, like, is this in the quite the exact same chronological order, or who exactly is with who? But the movie has way more of an, a fun energy that makes you so invested to see, like, oh, okay, here's where this person fits into this puzzle and this puzzle piece and all this other stuff. And I think that's what makes it his best film. It's just that it's like, okay, this story is, like, sprawling and has so many different elements to it, but it actually comes together so much better that I would argue he's done before or since. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. I mean, I 100% agree with you. 100, 110%. Maybe 120%. I'm not 100% sure on that. Oh, the math. <laughs> so <laughs> much math. I was told there was not going to be any math on this test, sir. Who is sort of your standout of this big, huge cast? Who is your favorite? Oh, man, there's, there's so many. Um, I obviously love, I love Dennis Farina in this movie. He, he kills me, but it's the, it's the three pawn shop guys. Anything those three do, Lenny James, uh, and forgive me, I don't remember the other two actors' names. Uh, Robbie um, G is Vinny, and then uh, Aday is Tyrone. Right. Those three. They kill me anytime they're on screen. Just the way they talk to each other, the way they react to each other. Just the constant sort of clusterfuck they find themselves in. More so than any, really any other character or group of characters in the movie. Um, they're, they're fantastic. What about you? I gotta say, honestly, like Brad Pitt was sort of like the big shining spot. Like that's who they advertise, obviously, because this is right after like Fight Club and he was the big guy. And to be fair, he's great in this movie. I really love him. Um, but my favorite's really, it has to be the duo of one of our athletes, Jason Statham, um, as Turkish and then Stephen Graham as Tommy. I love the two of them and how like all these characters have a similar vibe of like, oh, they're intense fuck ups. But I like that. Statham and Tommy have a more specific dynamic where they, they feel like they've been friends forever, but they also don't really like each other that much. I just love like that specific tightrope they're kind of walking on the whole time and how much of it, especially is like Stephen Graham, who you might recognize out there from like, he was in the Irishman and also on Boardwalk Empire, great character actor. He has a lot of a uh, sensitive traits to him that I think make him like, he's really, he cracks under pressure so hard that it makes like, Jason Statham's issues with him work so perfectly. The caravan that they have, it's just like, what's wrong with this caravan? And then the, the, the fucking door falls. It's just like, oh, nothing. It's great. I love it. Yeah, it's such a perfect it. place. It's, yeah, it's tip top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love that, man. You know, they, they do have a lot of good beats back and forth. You know, the, the Germans line and, you know, just the fucking, you know, 
come on, get play. He loves that dog. Always playing crazy games with him. <laughs> it's, like, it's so fucking funny. Yeah, no, they're really good together. And I, you know, but I also really like the, the main heavies of the movie with Bricktop, Boris the Blade, who's great. Yes. And of course, at the end of the hour, Vinnie Jones is Bullet Tooth Tony. He's great in this movie. He's so good. And he's, there's no question when he's on screen why he has the reputation he does. He's terrifying. But he's kind of a soft boy, too, when it comes to certain things. Oh, I love particularly when he answers the, the phone after being that dude in the with the fucking card. You're like, boy, sure. Yeah, bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, open him up? It's not like he's a tin of baked beans. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, he's really good in this, man. I, that's the thing. It's such a crazy cast. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just go down the names in this movie, even the people we didn't even mention yet, it's kind of crazy. Like, it's nuts that they all got in this one movie, and they all shine. I'd argue there's really not a bad performance in the bunch. No, yeah, I would agree. I think um, what, what works is uh, that every single one of these cast members is so distinctive that you also kind of want to see when they all converge on each other in the Pulp Fiction way. Like, when you see sort of some people team up that you didn't expect, like Dennis Freen and Vinnie Jones. I love their uh, them together, and especially the whole thing where he's uh, talking to Ewan Bremmer. Um, and he's got his head inside of like the fucking window, and they're playing the Lucky Star song. He's <laughs> like, "Oh, I love oh, this track." track. <laughs> yeah. Ironic, it's this toy that got you in this predicament. <laughs> oh, you're using shit to brush your teeth. Yes, yes. No, I, I don't want to do a quota thing, but this movie, there are so many good lines in this movie too. The dialogue is so sharp. Everybody delivers, man. It's quick. It's funny. It's it never feels really over the top like we're trying to be super cool like i'd argue i and agree with you lockstock is kind of trying to do that a lot more than this one is right because he's trying to prove himself at that point right in this one it feels a lot more natural everything that is said the characters are kind of just it all feels natural to the character because all the characters are over the top and nuts and crazy and don't couldn't exist but it all fits perfectly in this world he created, this sort of hyperized British gangster world. Right, but also it's a comedy of errors, which I think is more crucial. That like these people put on these airs of just like, oh, what tough British gangster types, but they're all such fuckups. <laughs> like even like an Alan Ford, as much as like who plays the uh, Bricktop character, who's great and has like the most control. At the same time, his hubris is what ultimately is his downfall, where he just assumes like, right. oh, everything's gonna be fine, I'm gonna be perfect, um, and then he ends up getting screwed over. That's the thing is like all of these guys have too much of a hubris to really be that successful on purpose. Like I love even the happy ending that happens is so just coincidental. <laughs> no, 100%. Everybody is just steamrolling through these circumstances in this movie and sort of just hoping that it works out. Nobody has a solid plan in this. Everyone has it figured out, yet no one knows anything about what they're doing. And the only way that certain people succeed is because other people are too fuck blistering to be, like, to succeed, right? Yeah, because people fuck up worse than them. <laughs> right. I mean, shooting the blank gun off in the car and rupturing their eardrops. Yes. <laughs> just dumb shit like that just these idiots um yeah it's just like you said it's a comedy of errors i think that's a really good way to put it um the only one who's really got a plan in the whole movie is mickey is brad pitt yes he knows exactly what they're gonna do and uh even then though what the fuck is he saying 
I, I do love that I had to have subtitles on, as with many Guy Ritchie movies. I have to make sure the subtitles are on just so I can say everything. But even, like, on, when I watch this on Amazon Prime, at a certain point when, like, they're trying to discuss the whole, like, back and forth with, like, the dog rabbit racing, like, it literally just says indistinguishably talking. Like, the subtitles yeah. gave up. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you can't understand a fucking word he says, dude. Nope. Yeah, I can't understand. Yeah, she's real passionate. Periwinkle blue. You're like, what the fuck? Like, it's just, yeah, it's great. Um, and you know, I love Jason Fleming showing up too. Oh, with that mullet, that glorious, glorious, oh, terrible mullet. Beautiful, beautiful mullet and fucking bananas, like grape smuggler underwear, just <laughs> walking around. Yeah, no, it, it's just, it's so good. I loved a lot of the camera shots they used too. Like, it is very Tarantino-esque, but, like, you know, Bullet Tooth Tony, mine says Desert Eagle .50, and yours says Replica. You know, that whole scene, great scene, the boom, 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 when they're realizing what's going on. Or, or my my favorite is the whole thing where it's the split screen between uh, Dennis Farina and I forgot the, the Diamond guy. Um, Talk and, Right. Um, where, like, the two of them are talking, and, like, whoever's talking has the bigger percentage of the screen. Yeah. Like, the line moves and shit like that. Yeah, it's great. You know, again, I don't want to do a quote-a-thon, but that's one of the lines. I still use it to this day because I think it's so funny. When he shows up, he's like, Avi, he's like, shut up and sit down, you big, bald fuck. I don't like leaving my country except for little drinks with umbrellas in them and sandy beaches. And he, well, we have sandy beaches. Who the fuck wants to see them? <laughs> and that's another thing, too, of like having Farina in there as the, the stand-in American is so perfect. Where just like, especially like the, the introduction of just like, you know, a bad food, Mary Poppins, London. That's where we're going. Um, it's, it's, it's all so good and how much he just hates going there every single time he has. He's forced to like enter there at all. It's, it's so good. I think that's the thing is it's so much of also people having to do things, but having such regret on their face about having to do so. Just like, oh. yeah. Even then, though, it's so funny. Like, Avi is this, you know, like you said, this abrasive American who's just, you know, he's he's strong-arming everybody, cussing at everybody, telling them down. But then when he gets a gun in his hand, he's a moron. Like, if he just... <laughs> ultimately, what happens to Bullet Tooth Tony? Like, you're like, what the fuck, dude? Like, just because Abby, he has nothing figured out either. That that's It's so such a good way you put it. Nobody has any idea what the fuck they're doing. And he just... The only way any character succeeds at any moment in this movie is because whatever he's up against, they fuck up worse. Right. Even I would argue the, the only other person who has like a bit more control, who doesn't stumble into it necessarily, is um the Frankie Fourfingers character, as played by Benicio Del Toro, who we haven't talked about somehow. Yeah. Who is so great, and he's only in like the first act or so of the movie, but it's such a great weird character that he's putting on even earlier on when he's like in the disguise as like the Hasidic Jew and he's going around and then like I love also that's a great camera bit like for the opening credits where it's oh, like where they found the, on the uh, security cameras and so it's like from camera to camera t- TV set perfectly done um but also just even like that he has this compulsion to just go gambling in Vegas and just the quick cuts they do anything he'll gamble on anything <laughs> yeah He's just a compulsive gambler. And, you know, the ultimately, the funny thing about him, too, like, yeah, he's got it figured out. But what happens to him is because the other guys fuck up. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they fucking hit the fan. You know what I mean? Because they think they see another guy. Like, it's just so fucking funny to me. Yeah. And, you know, the tea cozy on his head. Like, it's just... <laughs> Right, and also, I, I also love with him, his scene talking to Dennis Farina over the phone, where every time they edit, as he's, like, getting the dress shop, and he has a different outfit on. <laughs> Great fucking comedic editing throughout this whole movie. And also, 
sometimes a cigar, one time a pipe, one time a cigarette. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so fucking funny. Yeah, it's so, so well done. And that's another fun thing about the movie, too. All the character introductions, the way they're handled, where they all get their quick little moment, especially in the opening. Like, what a cool way to introduce those characters in the opening credits, where they're passing around different items and it's landing on all of them, and it's a freeze frame of that character. It's such a really slick way of doing it. Right, especially when that would become such a cliche with, like, his fucking movies. We're just like, oh, it's a Boggy Big Bop or whoever the fuck. Like, they all have dumb nicknames, but this (laughs) is, like, the one where it fucking works. Boggy Big Bop. <laughs> Look, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, as his career goes on, he just has to go back to this. It's like, bop a bit, whatever the fuck. It just becomes scat words. Yep. Bas- yeah, 100%. This is wee bop 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 In Scatman, the motion picture. But no, I, I just, like I said, you know, I always thought this was such a slick, cool, polished movie. And I haven't seen it in a while, but rewatching for this, that still stands true to me. I, I do agree with you that this is right when the Tarantino ripoffs were really happening because of Pulp Fiction. But this still, whether or not it is a Pulp Fiction ripoff, I mean, it is, but at the same time, I argue there's more than enough here for it to stand on its own legs. Right, it's less a maybe ripoff and more of, like, inspired by, but adding its own flavor to that. And even in terms of, like, Guy Ritchie's other movies, I just think, like, this is where that style, like, sort of hits crescendo for me. And, like, the other Guy Ritchie movies I like tend to be ones where he kind of has a bit of those flourishes, but he's still evolving. And, like, I argue my second favorite is Man from Uncle, which I think he does, like, such a great job of, like, putting that into, like, the 60s spy era stuff. I don't know. I've never seen it. I don't think I'm going to. What, what are you talking about? I mean, Henry Cavill's great civilization for Kander and uh, Hugh, Hugh Grant's in it. I can't think of any other person who's in that movie that might make you hesitant about seeing it. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> It's a shame. I really like that one. But at the same time, I think that's another thing is I will say I was worried going back to this because I hadn't seen it in so long. I'm like, is it going to be a bit more like offensive stuff that like just doesn't hold up from like any movie from the year 2000? I revisit. I worry about that. There's a few bits. Obviously, it's a much more of like sort of like a masculine problem. And also like there, there's you know, references to like fairies and stuff like that. Um, and even I'm not as culturally aware of the stuff in Britain, but some of the stuff with I'm not going to use the term, but the term they use for like Brad Pitt and everybody um, being sort of oh, like the, yeah. the white trash. I'm sure that's a very offensive slur of some sort that I'm not going to repeat. Well, it is. It's it's an Irish uh, slur against the Irish, predominantly right. European Irish. Yeah, right, yeah. Like it's like the Irish equivalent of like a, the Romani stereotype. But I'm also not going to use that term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I mean, that's 100 percent what it is. Yeah, it's just an Irish version of that yeah 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 i'm not gonna say it either even though you know i'm almost 100 percent irish so i could but that's why i'm not gonna say it but you know at the same time it doesn't bother me because in the world it's set in with these type of characters they would say offensive shit and do offensive things they're fucking ultra criminal masculine male fucking machismo guys they're horrible people. Right, and most of them pay for whatever crimes they ultimately do. Like we said, the only ones that have any kind of success are ones that stumble into it. Which I think before we uh, kind of head off of here, because we have a whole other movie to talk about, I'm curious, because we mentioned Vinnie Jones, who was a professional footballer before this point, but also we should mention that uh, many don't may not remember this, that Jason Statham, prior to becoming an actor, was a diver. I don't believe he went pro. He was competitive. He was competitive. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he was a diver, which I didn't even really realize until fairly recently. What do you think separates those two as athletes turned actors compared to others? 
Well, with Statham, you know, the thing about Statham, he has an undeniable level of charm and charisma to him. I mean, the guy, the guy's just, he, it's natural for him. And I mean, he's gotten better as he's gone along. He still was, he's great in this movie, but even now he's getting better and better. He cares about the craft and things like that. You could tell. And as far as Vinnie Jones goes, Vinnie Jones, at least at this time, and he probably, he really still does, takes roles that suit a guy like Vinnie Jones. This sort of big, imposing, sort of mean-looking guy, and he, ta- he takes those roles, and he's perfectly comfortable with being typecast in those roles, and it just works for him. He's really good at it. He's found his bread and butter. You know, he hasn't tried to really branch out and be the the main star, or you know, go into different genres that he might not be able to pull off. Like he just kind of does this one thing. I've seen a little bit more comedic tinge on some of it here and there, but. Ultimately, he he basically plays the same part, and he's really good at it. So it, it reminds me of like like Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo, yeah, he's done different genres of films, but he's fucking Danny Trejo and everything he's in, and he's good at that. And you wouldn't want him see him do anything else, uh, because he's the best at it. I I, I think that sort of Vinnie Jones fits in as well. Right, he's like a very enjoyable, big, gruff type um, who you would like be intimidated by to see. But at the same time, when he's able to kind of poke fun at that, it makes it all the funnier because he's so big and imposing that you wouldn't think he would have the comedic timing. I agree with that. And I think with the Statham, I think he's the perfect example of like somebody who takes the uh, sort of charisma of being an athlete, even like a professional diver. He like it almost really works for him because it it kind of suits Statham's look. He's also a diver. Like, it makes so much sense when I found out. Like, oh, that makes so much perfect sense because he has the perfect head for both being a major action star and also a diver. Because it almost, he looks almost shaped like a bullet. <laughs> like, at the top of his head. Again, like, it, it, it really adds to, like, any of the big action set pieces that he usually does. Or in this case, I just love also revisiting this after seeing, especially as of recent, several Statham action movies. And there's a yeah, whole yeah. sequence where a bunch of goons are trying to, like, destroy his place, and Statham, like, is almost beaten up, and fucking Stephen Graham has to save him, I'm just like, oh, that'll never happen again. <laughs> There's never gonna be another movie where anyone would believe that could happen to Jason Statham. He needs help, assistance, from, like, a bunch of thugs that are inside his fucking place. Right, but he's not the tough guy. He's not the handsome fucking kung fu fighting Jason Statham that we know. He's just a fucking bumbling idiot, too. And, right. uh... You know, who has who projects this sort of uh, personality that he's got it all figured out, got it all together. And he's the smartest one in the room. And, uh, you know, no, no, he's just as dumb as all of them. If nothing else, it did also remind me, like, I would love to see him return to this kind of thing, especially as, you know, he's getting older. He might not be doing action mm-hmm. films as plentifully anymore. I hope, like, as he goes into retirement, it is more of these comedic parts like here or the last time I think we saw it was something in, like, Spy, which he's tremendous yes. in. Just oh, like, so, so fucking funny. Like, I, that's the thing. He's also probably the one of the funnier examples of athlete-turned-actor, for sure, in terms of just, like, the oh, great comedic that, yeah. timing. And I think that sort of thing you're talking about works so much better for him than when he tries to be funny in some of the big reaction things. Like, that's my biggest problem, honestly, with something like a Hobbs and Shaw, is that he's going so hard for the bits, but also to be the action star. And that's so hard to balance. I don't think him or The Rock, I think they sometimes fall into a lot of traps. It's like, I want to be both. And it's like, I don't know if yeah. you guys can balance it nearly as well as someone like, even, I won't say Arnold was always that. I think he was trying for that, but it, it kind of has a different effect. Like, you can't do that if you're totally capable and, like, speak English well versus, like, an Arnold, you know? Right. Right. 
Um, but let's go. Like I said, we have a whole other movie to talk about, Adam. So let's do final thoughts on Snatch. I mean, I love the movie. I, it's still one of my favorite movies. Um, I love the characters. I love, the, you know, the twists and turns and all the chaos that happens in this movie. It's super funny. It's super enjoyable. And it's so infinitely quotable. Yeah, and I would generally agree with that. Like I said, I think it's my favorite of the Guy Ritchie movies. Incredible cast, so many fun moments. The best example of a sort of Tarantino ripoff in as much as it's clearly inspired by Tarantino, but goes on its own path. That's a lot more interesting. You can see why he kind of filled a void, because he became pretty popular with Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels right when Tarantino was taking his big hiatus between Jackie Brown and Kill Bill. So he kind of filled that void a bit. For a lot of people until obviously Tarantino came back and weirdly a lot of his movies started slipping. So I think Kill Bill came out like the year after Swept Away. So it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. you're out of favor now. Tarantino's our boyfriend again, <laughs> basically. Um, but but no, yeah, it's still at the same time, I, I think this is definitely the best of his movies. If I were to recommend one, if someone was like, hey, was it this guy, Richie guy, the Aladdin guy? <laughs> what other movies of his should I see? Just like Snatch is probably the best way to go. And you can fill out from there to be fair i haven't seen all of his like sort of this era of gangster british movies like revolver or rock and roller which have heard very mixed rock. things on both of uh, us, yeah, but... i would skip revolver rock and roll is pretty fun but now adam we have a whole other movie to talk about but first here's a promo for an eso show you can queue up right after ours there are a lot of great podcasts that review doctor who episodes in order the earth station who podcast is not one of them Just like the Doctor, we never know where or when we'll end up, but we'll have a lot of fun talking about it. From classic Who to new series and big finish, join the Earth Station Who crew wherever fine podcasts are found. Earth Station Who is a founding member of the ESO Network. All right, and here we go, everybody. Every 90s kid's favorite movie, Space Jam. When the world's greatest athlete, Michael Jordan, teams up with the world's best-loved cartoon character, Bugs Bunny, you won't believe your eyes. Pardon me, Mr. Jordan. Can I have your auto to the auto? Your John Hancock. What's going on here? We need your help! You heard of the dream team? Well, we're the mean team. Ready? Yeah! Done. Yeah. You kick it in here. You go to the hole and dominate. We own defense. Oh, yeah. Whoa, I don't play defense. Warner Brothers presents Jordan, Bunny, Special Delivery. Together, they just might save the world. Space Jam. You've never seen anything like it. So Space Jam came out November 15th, 1996 uh, from director Joe Pitka who had done commercials prior to this, including a bunch of commercials that starred uh, the Looney Tunes mascot Bugs Bunny and the basically mascot for not just the Chicago Bulls, but the entire NBA at a certain point, Michael Jordan. Um, so a bunch of like, you know, small, like minute to minute, half long commercials that were part of the Super Bowl. And everyone was like, wow, we should turn that into a movie. And that's what we got with Space Jam, in which Michael Jordan has to play a basketball game with the Looney Tunes in order to keep them from becoming slaves at an alien amusement park. It's literally the plot of the movie. And this is, like we mentioned, a movie that has a lot of nostalgic power. Like, to the point where we're getting a sequel now 25 years later. 
as this is the auspice for us doing this particular episode. And I want to say that I'm someone who has a lot of nostalgic memories about this movie. This is probably one of the first movies I saw in the theater. I had the VHS that I played all the time. I bought the, well, I didn't buy my parents' bought, and I listened incessantly to the six-time platinum soundtrack that has plenty of, like, interesting artists on there, some of which we still celebrate, some of them we rightfully don't. We will not talk about. No, right, right. Uh, But I have a lot of memories connected to this movie. But at the same time, you know, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Adam, you come close, everybody. Come in close, come in close, come in close. Just because I'm nostalgic about the movie doesn't mean it's a good movie. (gasps) <gasps> the fuck you say <laughs> i i know it's it's a shocker i can separate my nostalgic memories i still treasure from the fact that space jam's a fucking terrible movie what? yeah no it's awful i uh i hated this when it came out i hate it now um i will always hate it i think it is just such a shallow fucking you know, you've heard me talk about it on the sh- show before, cash grab movies. This is the biggest example that might possibly exist. Uh, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible film. Yeah, I, I think it's important to talk about the two major elements of this movie are, one, the auspice for the show, Michael Jordan being the star, which I wasn't as cognizant for the big Chicago Bulls run, but I did, in prep for this episode, watch the entirety of The Last Dance, which was the documentary series. It's on Netflix now that details um mainly that final season but also goes back and tells you a lot about that era and this is the first time i'd really known that much because most of what i knew about michael jordan was this movie when i was a kid and so going back and watching all that it's like okay i get why he had such a massive appeal i get why michael jordan became like such a big mascot for everything like especially nikes obviously be like mike i get that because when you see michael jordan in like interviews or on the court or any other stuff there's a clear charisma to him as a player that you would some may think would translate to the screen but um the trouble is when you make a movie this explicitly about michael jordan it feels so much more of just like this is a pr stunt especially given at the time he was kind of dealing with oh hey i quit basketball for a while and try to do baseball the movie tries to like comment on a lot of that with uh, where he is at that specific point. It's a movie where, like, it confuses not just with this part, but the Looney Tunes part, references to things that happen as, like, jokes. It's like, oh, Michael Jordan's bad baseball, as opposed to what he was great at with basketball. Is there any real joke to that? No. Not really. Just kind of pointing out the obvious. Yeah, no, they really want you to think it's funny, though. (laughs) I get it! There's not one redeeming quality for me about this movie. I, I think it looks terrible. Uh, Michael Jordan's awful. Uh, none of the jokes work. Wayne Knight's annoying. Uh, it's just, it. this movie, it just misfires on every single fucking level. Because, let's be 100% honest here, uh, as nostalgic as you might have been for it then, and like you said, you know, you're one of the smart, well-adjusted people who can look past that and realize that something you loved as a kid is not good. Uh, I don't think this movie ever had any intention of being good. This is a commercial of a movie. They they knew exactly what they were doing this. They knew it was going to make money, and so very little thought went into actually making a good product. Right. Both as, like, the element of the Michael Jordan stuff I previously established, and also even with the Looney Tunes. This is at a low point for the Looney Tunes. We've talked about back in action previously on the show. Which I'd watch over this. 
hundred percent. It's a much better film uh, because that's made by people who actually care about the Looney Tunes, at least somewhat behind the camera. Like obviously studio meddling made that movie a mixed bag as opposed to space jam is made by people who really only care about Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes who read a fallow period and Warner brothers felt like, Oh, we need to like rejuvenate them for the kids. Like their, their IP. That's the, the modern term. Like at the time, it was just like, Oh, we're going to sell them to kids. Now is they are intellectual property that we can sell to children. That's the thing is where like, there are plenty of movies that are like big blockbusters that are kind of cynical, but it's like, you know, if you can like at least enchant me with a bit of like, oh, you have a fun charismatic star or some interesting action beats or like right. comedic beats, anything like that, I can at least like forgive that and be somewhat entertained if not like totally on board with your movie. But this is the most like both cynical and lazy movie about that. So much of it just feels so poorly put together. Like no direction is put into Michael Jordan being any kind of like actor. I don't blame necessarily Jordan because he clearly his mind is on. I want to be a basketball player. I'll just shoot stuff in front of a camera as opposed to like anyone behind the scenes, like Joe Pitka or Ivan Reitman, who's the producer who was apparently very heavily involved. Like no one gave a shit about like, whatever he can just say these things and it doesn't matter. It'll be like a commercial. It doesn't matter. He can say whatever he wants. And then meanwhile, the Looney Tunes stuff, it's not funny at all. It doesn't feel like it respects anything about the characters. Even, like, the voiceover performances aren't that well done. Like, this is post-Mel Blank dying. And I think, despite some very talented people like Billy West is the voice of Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck's voice by D. Bradley Baker, a lot of, like, talented voice actors are here. They all feel like it's so, like, phoned in and it doesn't matter. And even the animation is clearly so rushed that it feels just like, oh, we're smoothing out all of the edges from anything that made Looney Tunes what they worked as at all especially i was more of a bigger fan of the looney tunes at this point like this is like such a smoothed over version of both jordan and the looney tunes as properties so it's just like there's no kind of enjoyment from what they can bring whatsoever it is completely soulless the thing is you have such a wealth of characters and you have these established you know characters as far as the looney tunes character who's been forever i mean forever they've been around and for them to take them and just really sort of disrespect what came before it and what these characters are and what they are even in the pop culture zeitgeist at the time and really just fuck it up. I mean, no care, no attention. They are the thinnest versions of themselves, every single character. And then, you know, to introduce a sexy new cartoon character that they can all lust over like this is just so lazy character with a lola button character where it's not just that it's like oh someone who can be awkward but also no she's a tough like modern lady who can play basketball and she says don't call me doll and beats people up for it so that means it's feminist now <laughs> it's great right, exactly it's so lazy and just piss poorly handled and like i said just so disrespectful and, and really insulting to its audience and fans of the source material and even the creators it's just it's a bastardized version of something that's so incredibly beloved and sacred and clearly clearly like you said rushed to be done and poorly animated and just used to get butts in the seats and and hopefully make a dollar off it which 
they still are making money off it. Like you said, the sequel's coming. There's so much nostalgic love for this. Oh, and even and even at the time, this made like a like it made two hundred fifty million dollars at the box office. But in terms of merchandising, like I had all the toys. I had like T-shirts with like the fucking Looney Tunes characters. Dude, on the soundtrack was huge. Like, and I will say the two things I can say are kind of enjoyable about this movie are one, the soundtrack, which despite yeah, yeah, yeah. artists who we're not going to talk about, still all the all the other people, fucking Seal, Salt and Pepper. Um, the Spin Doctors, weirdly, um, like there, there's there's a lot of good tracks on the soundtrack, and also I will say, despite the fact that I don't think Michael works that well, I think the whole sequence involving like the other athletes who have lost their abilities, I think is the only time I really laugh that much at anything. Particularly Patrick Ewing getting hit on the head with a basketball. He's actually weirdly very good at physical comedy, and even Charles Barkley delivering his lines, I think he's pretty fun. He was always sort of like of that crop of athletes, kind of like the one who was the most fun a presence to see, like on Saturday Night Live still and stuff is. like that. Yeah, yeah he still, still is. Yeah, totally yeah. agree. And that's the thing is like watching that scene, it makes you even more mad that they have Michael because the problem is that like those guys can have fun, but Michael can't because he's basically like Jesus. And when you put Jesus well, with the Looney Tunes, it's just like, it's not, there's, there's nothing there. Because <laughs> when you make it a PR stunt, you can't actually have the fun of being with the Looney Tunes. Like, the most anarchy that happens is when, like, he first comes to the Looney Tunes world. And he's like, oh, I'm in the chair, and then I fall down, and then I, like, have Tweety Birds around my head. Like, there's not, or he becomes the weird basketball and that creepy CG where he becomes a basketball yeah. that they play around with on other shit. This is a movie without a lot of plot. And obviously it's a Looney Tunes thing. I can forgive not having a lot of plot. But the sure. trouble is when you you don't have the plot for this, it's like, okay, how about you make the gags fun? How about you do interesting stuff with all these other people, like all these characters that we love so much, and even like a Michael Jordan, a fun figure. There's not much fun to be had at all. Like, well, No, you know, uh, not at all. And like I said, obviously they know what they're doing. And also, you know, let's just get out there right now. I guarantee you Michael Jordan's ego wouldn't allow him to fucking have fun and be made fun of really i mean he wasn't having it dude and the fact of the matter is you get somebody like that to carry your movie who really isn't into the idea of you know sort of being in the movie itself then it's destined to be terrible it's destined to not work you can tell his mind is on returning to basketball this is definitely like a thing of like hey you know what i just lost at the end of like the 1995 season i just came back to so i want to train as much as i can he's more focused on let me get past being in front of the green screen so i can go out and play with all the other people i think that's the thing is like watch this movie and watching the last dance where they have some footage of that just like i'd much rather watch like all the actual behind the scenes stuff of him playing basketball with like everybody because like even right. people who weren't part of the chicago bulls like patrick ewing and all these other people play basketball with them for like 90 minutes so like i'd rather watch that than a this thousand, movie with fucking Looney Tunes in it. A thousand percent. I'd literally rather watch fucking Muggsy Bogues try to D up on Patrick Ewing for an hour and a half. It, it's just, this is just, it's, you know, and I, I've said this term I, not many times on the show. I, I know I said it for like Oogie Loves and I believe Country Bears. This movie is just soulless. There's nothing, there's no heart involved in this movie at all. And it's very hard to find something enjoyable in a movie where clearly nobody gave a shit about what they were making. And I, I'd say this fits that bill 100%. One of the few people who kind of gets away with that is a Bill Murray, where, to be fair, that's his entire persona. Yeah, because he's Bill Murray, right. I right, agree. and even him totally checked out in this movie, still funnier than anyone else in the movie, with stuff like, I, I think one of the few big laughs I got is the bit where he's talking to Larry Bird. One, they actually work really well together. I'd much rather watch a buddy movie with Larry Bird Larry. than Bill Murray. <laughs> 
because he's the perfect straight man because he's so completely kind of like detached as a person but bill you can't jump it's just like yeah but <laughs> like how much he wants to become a part of the game or him talking to michael about like is it because i'm white but larry's white michael larry's clear i'm white <laughs> Stuff like it's just like, oh, these are the few respites of comedy because Bill Murray, even at his lowest, is so far funnier than the actual material that's here. Even with like we mentioned with the Looney Tunes, like how many of these gags where they try and recreate like, oh, here's somebody getting smashed. Here's somebody like falling over all this other stuff. How many times does that like just completely fall flat when they try and recreate it here because they don't have the energy to put like actual character animation detail into that? No, I mean, it's literally every time. It's yeah. every time. Yeah. And I mean, how many callbacks to like classic Looney Tune bits can you do and still think that it's fresh and funny? You know, it's just none of it works. None of it works. Like, come on, dude. It's Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd and all these characters, these cartoon characters who as cartoon characters, all voiced by the same guy, had fucking just charisma together and chemistry together just oozing off the small screen you put them in this big movie where nobody gives a shit about what they're doing and you can't even stand to watch them like it's the worst almost the almost the worst part of the movie it's it's just it's just disheartening this movie that's a there you go this movie is fucking disheartening god i hate this movie yeah, because it, it feels just like we're, we're taking these characters that had, like, were especially created to be these subversive, fun characters back in the 30s. And now, oh. by the time of the 90s, 60 years later, we're turning them into characters who kind of poke fun at the fact that they're corporate sponsors, but not really. Because it's stuff right. like, oh, like, like Daffy Duck kissing his ass that has the Warner Brothers logo on it. It's like the laziest attempt at something that, like, later on, a Lego movie would do much better. Of commenting yes. on like intellectual property and like what that means for like especially a kid's imagination. In this case, it has no imagination, but it's assuming just like oh look, we're gonna do like these fun games. Which apparently I found out a lot of these were like improvised by the voice actors. The voice actors were just kind of given free reign to like do whatever. And so you have like Billy West, the most bitter voice actor in Hollywood, <laughs> doing the most inside baseball jokes that like don't really hit. They just feel like, oh, this is like a, a, a person being super bitter about their career as opposed to a fun wink meta joke that a Looney Tunes character would do. No, yeah, I mean, absolutely. A thousand and ten percent. It's just none of it works, dude. Not a single bit of this movie works. And it's just, oh, God, it's so bad. But hey, Porky Pig in part two is going to rap a Biggie Small song. So there's that because the kids love hip hop. Right, and that uh, before we get to that, I just do also want to comment. We haven't talked much about the monsters or quote unquote villains, oh, um, who as little shrimps are not funny, and then when they become big people, are not that funny either. And even Danny DeVito as like the actual the swack hammer is also such an afterthought. You have Danny DeVito, one of the funniest people out there, and he's just doing like the most generic lines to like spew out. The only time I found him at all enjoyable, but one of the few times I laughed at this movie, is when Bill Murray comes out. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't know Dan Aykroyd was in this picture. <laughs> that was actually kind of a funny bit. That's kind of a good bit. I'll give right. you that. That's a good bit. God damn it. You got me on one bit. Right. One bit in this movie that, like I said, I don't know. I, people who are your age when they saw it at the show and it was super exciting and super fun and they remember it and they cherish the memory and they love it because, I mean, there was nobody bigger than Michael Jordan at the time. And it's, you know, live action with animation, huge soundtrack, toys, T-shirts, pillowcases, everything. It's all there. It's like a pop culture explosion happens. And 
it's just it's kind of hard for me to believe that you know this many years later not only we're getting a fucking sequel but that people still champion this movie i i honestly i I will. Ne- I don't like to hate on people for their personal tastes, but I just don't get it. I will. This is one that I will never understand the love for, the continuing love for. It feels like it's kind of the premier example of like, and and this is where like my biggest sadness and cynicism comes about Space Jam Two even being a thing. It feels like it's the prime example of like nostalgia at its most insidious, where it's so much more about like oh, hey, we really love this movie. And if you admit that, like, hey, I like it because I remember it as a kid and I really have fond memories, I'm totally fine with that. But if you're, or if you love it genuinely and you actually have, like, reasonings that you're willing to tell me about, like, sure, okay, I I can somewhat get with that. But so much of what I see from it feels so much more insidious in terms of, like, oh, it is nostalgia for something you were so sold directly to at a young age. It is nostalgia for something that, like, you remember it surrounding you, and therefore, because it surrounded you at an impressionable point, it is something that you are attached to. It's, like, fucking latched onto you like a parasite. Yeah, it's blind nostalgia. Mm -hmm. That's 100% what it is, because, you know, like you said, if somebody can really tell me, like, no, I, I love this movie, and they got their personal reasons, whatever it is, fine, dude, that's all for you. But... Literally anybody, you know, this is the most dangerous type of fandom to me, this blind nostalgia to where if anybody's like, oh, man, I don't, you know, I don't really like that movie. How fucking dare you? That movie was fucking awesome when I was a kid. So that doesn't mean anything. Like, you're not giving me a reason why it's worthy material. I get you liked it when you were a kid, and that's great. I'm glad you did. There's a lot of shit I liked when I was a kid that is terrible now. Terrible. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Two, Secret of the Ooze is awful. It's a terrible film. Loved it when I was a kid. It was the best movie I've ever seen. Watch it now. It's it's atrocious. And it, but you know, the thing is, like I said, it, there never really is a defense for these type of movies when it comes to sort of the ongoing love for them. It's not like it's particular groundbreaking because it isn't. This it's been done better. This type of movie, Roger Rabbit, for God's sakes, especially with the blending. Right. And it's way older, but it still looks way better and it's way better done and and handled oh and also it's got like some pesky things like good story and characters and jokes or whatever bullshit that is right well i see now i always forget that that's important when you're uh (laughs) i don't know making a fucking movie (laughs) there's nothing in this well and and even then you know what with like you mentioned teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 that's the prime example of like hey look this is clearly like we're doing a sequel because this is a popular brand and kids really like the first movie so we're gonna do it again and that's a bad movie i agree with you but at the same time i can find some things where it looks like okay somebody cared like the animatronic stuff or even some of like the set design or some of the production design there's some stuff as opposed to like with the space jam it's more insidious to me because it feels so much like we mentioned that there's no real heart that comes off on the screen there might have been somebody who cared but it doesn't really come off in any of the animation any of the you know like acting from some very talented people like even a wayne knight or michael jordan in his own talented way like when there doesn't feel like any of that's translating on the screen but people are so blindly nostalgic for this crass commercial property it feels like that's really infected the culture in a really insidious way where by the time we get to space jam 2 we're literally nostalgic 
for something that was commercial that was desperately trying to make two brands fold together and now we've gotten to a point where cut to 25 years later we're doing that with lebron james who's still a very popular basketball player but it's like because of just how culture has become is not near the level of like a michael jordan and then with the looney tunes the kids don't give a shit anymore about the looney tunes this was made at least at a point where like looney tunes were still on television like at this point Having the Looney Tunes in there is only nostalgia for the crass commercialism of Space Jam. And it's even worse here because now the Looney Tunes have become, like, this secondary thing so they can also promote all the other Warner Brothers IP for HBO Max, which is like, oh, there's the Game of Thrones land, and, well, Wizard of Oz land, and, like, the Droogs from A Clockwork Orange for some reason are just, like, Easter eggs in the crowd. It's becoming, like, this nostalgia for just general ip that they're trying to sell you and it's so like crass and completely transparent and just unfunny it feels like we're getting the horrible promise of like the joke with daffy duck kissing his own ass with the warner bros logo on it that's not a joke anymore it wasn't much of a joke then and it's even less of a joke now it's a snake eating itself in a way that feels like it's cultural dystopia that I want to enjoy big blockbuster movies. But this is one of those movies where it just feels like, man, I want to, it makes me more cynical and sad that a fucking Space Jam 2 is happening. I feel like anytime I see a commercial or a clip or anything, I don't feel angry. I don't feel nostalgic love. I feel sadness. I mean, yeah, those sound like pretty good final thoughts, too. Yeah, they're, they're pretty final thoughts. And that's what Space Jam <laughs> led us to, is that sadness, that overwhelming, awful sadness. Adam, do you have any final thoughts about Space Jam? I, I mean, I'm literally going to agree with everything you said. And uh, just, I, to put it bluntly, I hate this fucking movie. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. I don't feel it deserves it anymore. You know what I mean? That's true. That's very true. And uh, that's the end of our discussion of our two movies, but we have another segment to get to in just a moment after this brief word from the ESO crew that we fully endorse. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello everyone, Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. All right, so now at the end of the show is where we do the double review, where basically every week uh, Adam and I program the best possible and worst possible double feature based around the topic we're doing as a compliment for the episode. So Adam has uh, two good movies and two bad movies related to athletes that star in films, and I have the same for me, that we would recommend or not to you all out there. So Adam, you're going first this time. What are okay. your movies? All right. So my two good ones. Uh, one of them is say, kind of what we were just talking about. Nostalgia love for it. It still holds up. It's still funny. It's definitely an adult movie that I shouldn't have seen when I was a kid. But I just thought it was so funny. For a lot of the reasons we even talked about in our first movie. All these this crazy cast of characters who are great. Um, and it's uh, Major League. 
And the athlete is Bob Euchre, who's the announcer. He was a longtime baseball player, then became an announcer, did radio shows, everything. Um, I just, I, Major League is one of the, to me, one of the best sports comedies of all time. I still think it holds up. There is problematic stuff in it, of course, but it's also a movie of the 80s, and again, about male macho machismo stuff in sports. But I, I still think it's just super fun, great characters, even though I, I, Charlie Sheen's incredibly problematic. It's one of the best Charlie Sheen's. Uh, it just it, it's really, really super funny. Um, and then my other good choice. Now, the thing is, this is one of my favorite bad movies ever. And I, I know it should have maybe gone in the bad ones, but I just love it so much uh, that I had to put it in the good. If you want to watch something that will make you fucking laugh, then this has to make you laugh. And it's uh, Stone Cold starring Brian Bosworth, uh, who was a professional football player. He was like the hottest thing when he came out because he had a fucking mullet and his ear pierced. So he was like the bad boy of football. Um, It's a fucking crazy, wild movie. Lance Henriksen and William Forsyth play like Nazi bikers. Like it's just, it's crazy fucking nuts he has a pet komodo dragon like what the fuck uh it's shit but it's super super funny super good the action is actually competently done in it um but i highly recommend if you could find stone cold to watch stone cold maybe with a little bit of substances uh maybe not i don't know but it's super super fun now on the bad movies i have uh firestorm with howie long now, this is when they tried to make Howie Long a star. Uh, he had done, like, Broken Arrow, and I believe 3,000 Miles of Graceland was either right before or right after this. I'm not 100% sure, which is also a terrible film. So he gave him a starring vehicle where he plays a, a firefighter, like, parachute dropper who goes into forest fires and tries to save. And, of course, you know, crazy shenanigans and hijinks ensue. It's a terrible, terrible film, and he is he just talk about a wooden fucking plank of wood actor. Wooden plank of wood. Yeah, well, hey, fuck it. That's what he is. He's a plank of wood made out of other wood. I don't know how that happens, but that's how we long. Um, and then my other choice was also when they tried to make Dennis Rodman a big movie star. Obviously, he had done sort of, you know, double team with Van Damme and done a couple other movies here and there. But uh, his major starring vehicle was a movie called Simon Says. Dennis Rodman plays a hip Interpol agent trying to take down a fucking arms dealer. Uh, and his co-star slash comic relief partner is dane cook um it's an abysmal film it is so bad like where stone cold is bad but it's funny simon says it's bad and makes you want to rip your fucking eyeballs out it is atrocious populated with just the most unlikable people and actors and characters you could maybe possibly see in a late 90s action movie which is saying a lot it's atrocious i i mean just avoided at all costs um i can say the only one of those of yours i've seen is major league and that wasn't even until like the last couple years i actually caught major league and i do agree with you i think it's quite fun um especially for like a late 80s kind of comedy i think particularly the person you didn't spotlight who i love in that movie is wesley snipes is like oh so dude he's great fucking funny yeah, yeah. yeah willie mays hayes <laughs> particularly the bit where for some reason i can't remember the context of this joke but he's 
in a bed right outside the baseball field and he wakes up and then gets onto the field yeah. is such a funny visual to me. And also, I agree, the guy who seals the show is Bob Uecker, who I believe was a baseball player before he became an announcer. Yes, yep, he right. was for and like he's so years. fucking funny. <laughs> I got the copy here. Where is it? Oh, the hell with it. I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty good. And I mean, I've heard of Stone Cold, and I've heard that's pretty fun. Um, that might be a back pocketer for you, Adam, to potentially t- to talk about on the show. Um, and then you have the two bad picks I definitely have not seen, and uh, we'll continue to avoid. Yeah, don't, don't even. Nope. No, 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 no. Uh, for my picks, I have um, the two interesting movies for the good ones, uh, where uh, they're both very different films, but I think utilize their particular actors quite well. I'll start with the one that's probably more well-known to people out there, to all you young kids, especially on the, the film Twitters. I have Uncut Gems, uh, which features, mainly stars Adam Sandler as a sports better guy, but the main athlete actor is Kevin Garnett playing himself, so it's not the hugest stretch for him, but at the same time, it is so much fun to see Adam Sandler just play off of Kevin Garnett, who was clearly just doing, like, this whole thing with, like, a diamond in sports betting just out of, like, a weird, like, ego curiosity that's so fucking funny. And even Kevin Garnett has so many fun bits in a movie full of great fun bits. Like, particularly where he's talking about um, showing him the, the opal, and then he takes it away. She's like, why are you showing me something that I can't have? <laughs> it's such a funny delivery. And it's, it's such a good example of especially using an athlete with limited range, clearly, to play himself, but also so well in this weird situation. And then uh, for the other good, I have a weird choice, but definitely for a weird movie that I don't think is necessarily great, but I think is very entertaining for its low-budget, schlocky horror charms, is Taurus Trap, which is one of the earlier movies uh, from the Full Moon crew, pretty big with Charles Band and all them, uh, but the main athlete actor is, I think, the highlight of a cast that's mostly full of, like, kind of forgettable teen-type characters. Chuck Connors, who used to be a basketball player and baseball player before. He had done some acting before this, obviously. He was, like, in The Rifleman. He had a very interesting life. He, we initially see him as, like, oh, he's kind of, like, a helpful guy on the side of the road to help these kids who are broken down. Uh, but then he becomes a bit more sinister over the course of the movie. I think he's genuinely effective in both roles. I think he does such a fun job that I would recommend definitely. Taurus Trap, very weird little horror movie. Uh, very much clearly a ripoff of, like, Texas Chainsaw. It came, like, late 70s. And it's also weirdly like that movie, Not That Bloody, at all. <laughs> it's, like, PG-rated, basically, because it's so inoffensive as a horror movie. But at the same time, there's plenty of, like, interesting weird thrills from, especially if you're not a fan of mannequins. Uh, it's playing spooky shots of them in there. Um, and then, briefly for my too bad... I have um, one that's definitely an example of, like, kind of the ego boost, not as aggressively as Space Jam, but I think kind of fits this, is uh, Kicking and Screaming, which is a one of the early Will Ferrell vehicles post-Anchorman, and it's about him trying to coach, like, a soccer team, um, and the whole thing is his dad is running a competing soccer team, uh, played by Robert Duvall, in order to try and get one up as the underdog team, he ends up recruiting the neighbor, who it turns out is Mike Ditka, who was previously a football player, to help him shape this, like, kid's soccer team into something bigger. And it feels like such an aggressive example of, like, oh, it's Mike Ditka. We know Mike Ditka, therefore this is funny that he's coaching the soccer team for kids. How crazy. Um, but it's just, like, Mike Ditka is clearly not that interested in being funny. And it's when Will Ferrell is also kind of desperate for laughs, it feels just kind of dull. And especially in a career full of bad, like, sports comedies, this is, like, the one of the more bottom-of-the-barrel ones. And then I will say my other one here 
is from somebody who at the time was more known as a footballer. It wasn't necessarily pro, but uh, would later be much better utilized in other things. But I would argue he is the highlight of this very bad movie. I have White Chicks, which is a very bad movie for a lot of different reasons. Not a highlight for the Wayans Brothers crew, yet also not their weakest point. They have somehow done worse in this particular movie. But I will say, Terry Crews breaks out in this movie and is easily the funniest thing about it with how much he especially puts into the lip-syncing scene uh, to the Clay Clarkson song is a part of this movie where, like, I never want to watch it in full again, but I have watched that scene several times of <laughs> him lip-syncing to that Kelly Clarkson song. I think he's so committed. Very funny. And once again, proves that, like, that guy would be much better utilized in stuff like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and many other things later. I've seen all four of your movies. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly with both Uncut Gems and Tourist Trap. I think Tourist Trap is probably one of the scariest movies sort of charlie bands kind of put out uh it's super creepy and uncut gems yeah i mean it, never better sandler and kevin garnett first of all it's kevin garnett but yeah kevin garnett is great in it uh super funny and i love that they give him that classic athlete sort of superstitious thing where you know some of them don't change their socks the entire yes. time you know that really funny uh kicking and screaming is abysmal it's so bad, and I, I think I got to agree with you out of all the Will Ferrell sports movies. That's probably the worst, and that's, I mean, that's hard to choose because they're mostly all bad. But yeah, that one's really, really bad. And uh, yeah, White Chicks is like unwatchably bad, except for Terry Crews. And um, excuse me, it's Vanessa Carlton, not Kelly Clarkson. That's true. I'm very sorry. Yes. I Well, you should, because she's a big listener. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, that's the only funny part in it. That and his like dancing when he dances, yes. that, 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 that movie is terrible. But yeah, Terry Crews absolutely is a standout. And I'd argue his performance in that movie is what gave Terry Crews a big career. Yes. I really think so. But yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with all of those. And you also agree that Chuck Connors is a pretty good uh, athlete turned actor. In oh yeah, Force dude, Cup. sure, dude. I always forget that he was an athlete too. Yeah, Chuck Connors is great. Um, but yeah, those are our picks for that double review. And actually, um, we recommend anybody send us their uh, particular uh, programming for the, the double review, including yeah. uh, somebody sent us uh, recommendations for last time in our last episode. We did non MCU Marvel movies. Uh, James Rodriguez, previous guest, fan of the show, uh, has suggested uh, for the double review for those. Uh, he says, I have some suggestions. I would recommend the two good features showing Marvel suits animation, Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse and Big Hero 6. And then I would also suggest avoiding these two uh, realizations of edgy fan favorite characters, Ghost Rider and Venom. I mean, really, obviously I love Spider-Man. It was my favorite movie of the year it came out. It's still one of my all-time favorite movies, if not just my animated movies, one of my favorite Marvel movies, period. And you picked it as your favorite movie of the decade when we did that. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah 100%. And, and, and I still stand by that. I was not crazy about Big Hero 6. Like, I think the animation's great. I just don't think it... I think... How do I put this? I might be a little too old for it. And I know it sounds crazy, but it's definitely geared more towards kids than me. My my kid, my daughter loves it. So I've watched it several times, and I do think the animation is great. It just, you know, kind of passed me up. Plus, you know, T.J. Miller. But um, it's still... Yeah, I still like it. Uh, Ghost Rider, I agree 100%. Both of the Ghost Rider offerings we've gotten have been just terrible we've talked about one of them on the show and and that's enough uh and i'm not crazy hard 
like crazy like down on Venom. It's not good, but I still think it's kind of entertaining. Yeah, which we've also talked about on the show. Yep, yep. Which I even said on that episode. I don't think it's the worst. I think it's fine. I'll put it this way: it's a movie that I don't like yet. I'm very curious about the sequel. If nothing yes. else, to see if they fully commit to the best parts of that movie, which were the weird like horror comedy elements, as opposed to the big dumb superhero stuff. I think that's where it really kind of dropped the balls. Like particularly the climax of Venom has a lot more like dumb superhero bullshit that I don't care about, as opposed to just just really lean on like oh there's a weird like symbiotic buddy movie with like Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy. <laughs> I hope they just fully embrace that. Um, and I think with Big Hero 6, I agree that I don't think it's necessarily my favorite. I remember really liking it when I first saw it, but I have not seen it since it came out in theaters. I will say, though, the thing that at least sticks with me is not so much, like, the human characters, but I think Baymax is a very fun sort of, like, robot character. And Scott Adsit, like, a very fun comedic presence on, like, 30 Rock and stuff like that, I think is a very good voice performance from him. Yeah, I get the fa la 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 Like, that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty good. No, Baymax is good. Um, but yeah, thank you all, uh, for listening. We also want to thank some other people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. Uh, follow him at night of water. That's night with a K underscore of underscore water uh, for more of his great stuff on Twitter and Instagram. We also want to thank our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash pod, where for just $1 a month, you get to listen to bonus podcast stuff that includes top 10 lists, audio commentaries, our show on the edge of relevance where we cover very recent movies uh that have come out including right as we're uh, talking here you'll be able to hear our black widow on the edge of relevance all about uh the the latest marvel cinematic universe film uh where we go into spoiler thoughts even as well on that our very fresh baked thoughts that we have on that particular movie um and also get to vote in polls and stuff for movies that we get to cover in the future and topics we cover for the show all that kind of great stuff um also if you can't support us for just the $1 a month over at the Patreon, we would appreciate if you were to buy merchandise with our logo on it over at the T Public store for the ESO Network. It's at tpublic.com uh, slash store slash the ESO Network. There will be a link in the description where you can buy a mug, a t-shirt, or even a laptop case with our lovely logo on it. And, you know, it would really help us if you were to do uh, what, my corporate brand entity IP? Buy our merch! Buy our merch! Yeah, now kiss that branded logo on your ass. <laughs> Daffy Duck style. Uh, <laughs> but if you want more of our antic, you can find our antics for the show at DEDBpod on Twitter and Facebook. And also you can submit feedback to us, doubleedgeableville at gmail.com, all spelled out. For more individual stuff, though, I am an, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxes at NotTheWho'sTommy, where I do uh, some musings, and also I do uh, bigger writing on MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and occasionally at Film-Cred.com. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam, at A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. And I am also on Letterbox at Schwanson, that's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T. S-O-N. Yes, and for more of our uh, lovely talks on here, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on the ESO Network, why not list all the other great shows on there? Or also dig into our archives on our main Podbean feed for several episodes we did even before we joined ESO. And nothing else, if you can't buy that merch or support us one thing on the Patreon for just the $1, 
the completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or share the show around on whatever platform you're listening to, because that gets us more visibility with the algorithms. Yeah, super easy to do and super free to do. So fucking hook us up. Uh, you know, how about uh, now? Do it now. We'll wait. Good, you did it. Thanks. All right. So now, Adam, it's time to do our picking for next week's episode. As we do at the end of every episode, each of us uh, has, you know, two good, two bad movies. Uh, in this case, you have the two bad for next time. I have the two good. We've assigned them between 1 and 10 for both those choices. We randomly select number between 1 and 10 on our own, so that gets us closer to the good and bad feature that we cover for next week. However, we should mention, we have the recently instated Godfather rule, where both Adam and I have a single veto in our pocket that we can use from now until our next anniversary episode in May of 2022, uh, where if we hear a choice that we end up picking with random numbers and we think, hmm, we don't really want to talk about that, we can answer the question that the person who has the two picks asks of, well, do you want to take the cannoli? Then the person who is the picker can say, actually, I will take that cannoli. And keep in mind that the only things exempt would be ones that are chosen by our loyal Patreon subscribers. And Adam, we're doing something that's a bit delayed that we always usually like to do about the midway point of the year. We're a couple weeks off because we wanted to have some other episodes time out perfectly, but we're going to be doing it now. We are doing our 2021 check-in of all the movies that have come out in the first half or so of the year, which been another interesting year with a bunch of interesting movies. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been that. I haven't seen as many as I wanted to, uh, but that's okay. I think that's kind of the dynamic we usually have when we do this, is I tend to have, watch more of the recent pictures, and you tend to be a bit more in the dark. You you catch up on something, obviously, on the Edge of Relevance on Patreon. You've seen at least hey, nine yeah. as of now that I know. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. But, Adam, for my two good choices, number between one and ten. Uh, let's just go straight up number one. All right. At number two, I have a movie that's a bit of a doubleheader, and I'm very curious, Adam, because I think, I don't know if you have seen this, but I think even if you have not yet, I think you will have a lot of fun with this one. I have Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, the Kristen Wiig vehicle. I have not seen that one. It's a very silly comedy, which I know is usually your bag, but it could not be. We'll see. We'll, we'll test that. Unless do you want to take the cannoli on that, Adam. No, I'm not going to take the cannoli. All right. Well, the other choice that you would have potentially gotten, at number nine, I had a movie that's kind of movie. It's weird to kind of describe this, especially because I don't want to spoil it for anyone who has not seen this. I would just firmly recommend it. I have the Frank Oz-directed filming of this particular magic stage show of shorts in and of itself, which is on Hulu right now. And like I said, I don't. I would recommend anybody watch it, but don't look into anything about it. Just watch it blind. It's okay. really great. <laughs> I've never even heard of that either. So, all right. Well, that's something. Yes, but now, Adam, <laughs> you got yours. I'm very curious. I do. I do. I've never seen either of these either. Uh, I just know the reputation. They're not supposed to be very good. So. Well, so for that, since you went with number one, I'm going to go ahead and I'll do the opposite. I'll do number 10. All right. At number 10 with the bullet i have the apple tv movie uh the tom holland cherry Ooh, i've heard nothing good about this movie i haven't either which is why i have not seen it 
but I have been morbidly curious because it's also, we should mention, the first non-MCU Russo Brothers film in yeah. a while. So yeah, it'll be, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to take the cannoli on that end because I am morbidly curious to see how that goes. But what was your other choice? And at the opposite end, at number one, I have what looks like a very copy-paste action sort of sci-fi thriller, the Paramount Plus Infinite with Mark Wahlberg and Chiwetel Ejiofor. Another movie I've heard very bad things about and have avoided. We'll continue to avoid. Yep, that works for me. Yes, uh, but that is the end of our show, so I believe uh, that means that that's all, folks. Oh, oh. What? Porky Pig, man, doing the fucking Biggie Smalls, baby. Oh, no. (laughs) Notorious P.I.G. indeed. Oh, oh, I wonder if that's going to be a thing. That's literally what they call him in the clip. Oh, fuck. God damn it. (laughs) Good night, everybody. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.